Good morning, Axe Church. How are we doing today? Good. good. Was it a good week? Yeah. Good. good. I'm happy to have you guys here this morning. Happy that you took the time to get up, venture out on a Sunday morning to a, uh, to a church service. Because um, really, that's what it is. It's a church service. You're not coming to church. You guys are the church. If you have Jesus inside of you, the Bible says that we are the church. So we come together to have a service to celebrate. But I've been talking with you guys for the last two weeks about this more than many sparrows message. And you guys have been here. Maybe you've heard of it. Um, I was even talking to a guy who's new this morning, and he was watching it online in these past weeks. All of our messages, if you ever wondered, if you ever wanted to get caught up or if you miss a week, our messages aren't just even podcasted like audio, but our video as well, too. So you can watch the service from home if you miss it. So you can always catch back up if you weren't here. But what I've been talking about is this, is this feeling of, uh, of worth and worthlessness, specifically. And what I want to share with you guys, I've, I've read a few of these before to you, um, but this morning I want to read you a, a note posted online by somebody, and, and this is what they say. I am worthless, why am I here? It says, I'm fat, ugly, have acne, never had a real girlfriend, never had sex, have barely any friends that are girls, have few friends in general, I'm good at no sports, I'm not smart at all, I cannot figure out why I'm here. I have all the symptoms of depression and I do not want to tell my parents or a doctor. I feel so worthless and it is, in fa- it, and it is fact that I am. It seems everyone in the world has at least one good thing about them. I'm easily jealous. I, I want to be like everyone else. I feel like no one, no one knows anything about me. I feel so different, and this can't keep going on. I don't know what to do. I'm in college now, and I've lost almost every single friend. I really don't have anything to live for. Please help. I mentioned to you guys in the, in the past weeks, when I read these things online... Man, it's painful. It's, it's heartaching to, to read those words put out, isn't it? Um, but we weren't meant to be like that. That's not how any of us were born. None of us were born with such a, a hurt heart. That's something that the world takes and does to us because the world kicks us around and kicks us down. And what I, was, what I was trying to share with you guys over the past few weeks, and what I want to share with you guys again this morning, is this awesome verse in, in Luke 12, 4 through 7. And God makes this really quick comment, but in it is such a great, um, such a great message. And in Luke 12, 4 through 7, I'm going to read this for you. It says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I'll show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after the killing of the body, has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. I love this verse because it talks about God's amazing ability to understand even where every sparrow, every bird on earth is at because they mean something to him. And he says, if you think for a second that you're not worth something, he says, you're worth far more than any of those sparrows. Man, God really cares. We've been talking about the last two weeks. I mentioned how God proves that we're worth his care and we're worth his love. Um, there's this other verse that I was reading, and I, I thought it was kind of funny. It, it caught me um, kind of right in line with what we're talking about. 
and it's in Matthew 12. And uh, it's, it's a story of Jesus healing somebody. But I, I love what he says in this. Uh, it's in 12, 9 through 4. And it says, uh, Going from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him. These are like the, the law, uh, law Christians. They're always trying to get Jesus into trouble. They asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, Well, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? I like that because we're talking about how we're worth, we're worth more than many sparrows. So take and put in your thing. You're not just worth more than many sparrows. You're also worth more than a sheep, according to the Gospels. You're worth more than a sheep and some sparrows. But Jesus says, of course, of course it's, it's, it's okay to heal on the Sabbath. He says, you would pull an animal out from, from uh, a troublesome situation. Why on earth wouldn't I pull a human being out of that same type of trouble? What I see is that God does prove that we're worth his care, we're worth his, his love. Um, but the third thing that I really saw by this verse is that God says that we're worth his trouble. We're worth his trouble. Um, most of us, if we're honest, we were probably some trouble for our parents, weren't we? Think back. Probably most of us have been a little bit of trouble for our parents in the past. And not like it was maybe necessarily terrible things, but it's, you know, headaches and, and worry, um, concern, and, and, and going out of your way. I mean, just, just parents. I don't know if any of your parents have had kids in sports, but I mean, like, it's like a full-time job to have a kid in sports, isn't it? You run and you go pick them up. And there, there, there's so much, a lot of trouble put into, into those kids. Um, humans have been a lot of trouble for God ever since the, the very beginning. I want to do a recap for you guys. I don't know how much you guys get to read the Bible, but what's cool is when you can start to look at the Bible as a, a big picture. So let me give you guys a really quick recap of how it goes down, okay? Starting in the beginning, God creates humans. Right away, they take and they sin. Almost by what the Bible account is, it seems like it's, it's nothing, right? He tells them, don't do this, and they do it. Just that fast. They sin, and then God has to kick them out of the Garden of Eden because they can't be really close to him because of this sin that they had. But when he kicks them out, he decides to provide for them. He gives them ways that they can grow food and he, ways that they can hunt animals and they can provide for themselves. Well, then the people are so evil that he decides he has to flood the earth and kill off this evil generation. But for the people who are faithful, God takes and sends an ark, and those people are saved, and they repopulate the earth, start over again. After that, we go a little bit farther forward, and we see that God's people are all enslaved, that all of these, these Jews were eventually taken into captivity by the Egyptians and forced into slavery. And God says, no, that, you know, that can't be for my people. And he takes and sends a man to take and call them out of that slavery. He does miraculous things to get them broken free from the Egyptian hold. Takes and even parts the sea. Now that seems amazing, but then even more amazing is after he does that, he provides for them by feeding them. Literally him feeding them by putting miraculous bread and birds every day for them to eat for 40 years. After that, he says, now I want you to go into a promised land, something that he had for him. And he takes, and we see a God that works through tremendous amounts of battles they have to do to be able to take over this land that was meant to be theirs. After all that, guess what? They still don't get it. They turn away from God more. And then God sends prophets 
People like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, men to come down and say, I can hear God saying this isn't right. They connect with God and then they were sharing with the people. And then even after that, we see uh, God-ordained judges. That's what the book of Judges, if you ever wondered what it is. Judges were just leaders. And God would ordain leaders to come in and say, like, we got to get this straight and focus people back on God. That's just the Old Testament. And that's a really, really quick synopsis of it. Tons of trouble that God had to go through to maintain that relationship with people, didn't he? And really, that just takes us up to the most miraculous part of the story when it comes to God's trouble, which is what starts in the New Testament and the story of Jesus Christ. As much as all of that is amazing, what's really crazy is then we get to a point in the story where it starts talking about how God no longer wants to just be a God of rules, but he wants to be a God that lives in our heart. And we see this story of Jesus Christ coming and paying for all of the sin, all of the wrong that we have ever done. God becomes a man, dies without sin so he can pay for our sin, so then that we can go be with God. It's, it's a miraculous, an amazing thing. But obviously a tremendous amount of trouble. Literally, part of who God is, Jesus Christ, had to leave where he belonged in heaven and come down to earth to live among us and die. Tremendous amounts of work trouble. There's this uh, part in, in Hebrews, it explains this, this story where it starts over, where he's talking about what this next thing is. And it says in Hebrews 8, 8 through 13, I want to read you this little section. And this is in the message, so it's, it's really, it's paraphrased, so it, it connects with us. It says, heads up, the days are coming when I'll set up a new plan for dealing with Israel and Judah. I'll throw out the old plan, I set up with all their ancestors when I led them by the hand out of Egypt. They didn't keep their part of the bargain, so I looked away and let it go. This new plan I'm making with Israel isn't going to be written on paper. It isn't going to be chiseled on stone. This time I'm writing out the plan in them, carving it in the lining of their hearts. I'll be their God. They'll be my people. They won't go to school to learn about me or buy a book called God and Five Easy Lessons. They'll all get to know me firsthand, the little and the big, the small, and the great. They'll get to know me by, by being kindly forgiven with the slate of their sins forever wiped clean. It's amazing, an amazing new plan that God says that, that old plan of laws, it, it didn't work. People couldn't get it. They couldn't grasp a hold of it. But this new idea I have, well, this one's about internal. I'm not going to write laws and say follow these. Instead, he says, I'm going to become the God of your heart, and you're going to feel me and know me that when you, you say that you belong to me, it's going to be like a, closer than a friend, closer than a family member. Through all of this, we see that God wants to start a relationship with us. He's not happy just being a distant God. He wants to have a close relationship with us. But if any of you guys in this crowd have ever had relationships, you know that they're a tremendous amount of work. They don't go good on their own. Relationships naturally will turn out bad if we don't work at them. Relationships take care. They, they cause a whole lot of trouble. They're a lot of work to maintain. And what God is saying is that you're worth all of that trouble. He wants a relationship with you enough to go through all of that trouble. When I look through the Bible, I see a few things, and I want to share them with you because I think it, it maybe changes our perspective on God a little bit. And when I look, I see the fact that God proves that he will work through our insecurities and our shortcomings as human beings. It could be your fears. It could be the fact that maybe you're just kind of dumb on the situation yet. I don't get it yet. 
Um, it could be the fact that maybe you're just you're hampered by, by old problems in your life that you just can't get over. But God works past these somehow. There's this awesome story, and it's of Gideon. And some of you guys, maybe if you, if you spent some time in the church in the past, you might have heard his story uh, before. But he was one of the judges. He was a man come to, to take his people and move them forward. And Gideon brought together an army. And what's crazy, right? Here's the story that you'll hear this a few times. He had a big army. God said, your army's too big. If you win, people will just say it's because you had a big army. He says, I need you to, to send... Yes, God? Hello? Someone answer the phone. No. Um, <laughs> but what he says is, he says, I need you to take and tell anyone who doesn't want to be here, just let them go home. And the army is cut in half instantly. And you know what, though? What's crazy is God comes back again and says, you still have too many people. If you win right now, people are going to say, it was just luck. But I need it to be about me. I need when you win, people say the only way that happened was God. So he says, go down to this river. The men who drink a certain way, send them home. And he has this huge army. is cut all the way down to 300 men. 300, that's it. And you realize, like, there's a little bit of fear now, right? Wouldn't you think in Gideon? He set out, and he thought he had a big army that he could go and do this stuff. And God said, no, that's not how it's going to be. I'm guessing he's getting a little scared. There's this awesome part that just gives me a perfect insight of how God deals with those fears. It says this uh, in... Judges 7, verse 9. It says, During the night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. They're over here. Over across the valley is the other enemies, okay? And they're going to go, and they're going to fight with them. So he says, Get up, go down to the camp, sneak down there, because I have something for you. And he says, If you are afraid, if you are afraid to attack... Go down to the camp with your servant, Pura, and listen to what they're saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. If you are afraid to attack, he says, then go and listen. Here's what happens. He and Pura, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. So Gideon was afraid, right? He says, if you're afraid, go. He went. He was afraid. And it says, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley thick as locusts very thick. Their camels, could be, their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. He says, I had a dream. It's not the speech. Not Martin Luther. Thank you very much. He says, he says, a round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck a tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. And his friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. And when Gideon heard that dream and the interpretation, he worshiped God. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, get up, the Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. He was scared. Gideon was scared to go and attack this camp. And God says, and if you are, go. And God gave a man who didn't have any relationship with him a dream for Gideon to hear. Man, talk about working around those fears to get something accomplished because of, because of that relationship he had with Gideon. We see it with Jesus, too. If you guys have ever read, but Peter is just, he's a mess in the Bible. You know, we think about these people as being great uh, people and great men of God. Peter was a mess. 
man, he messed stuff up. They, they'd go and they'd have a great experience. And he's like, let's just stay here. And he's like, no, you're missing the whole point. And then he's like, oh, I'll go with you until your death. And then, well, that is a possibility and he runs away. But God still deals with him. Later he comes back and he says, Satan wishes to sift you as wheat, but he says, I have great things for you. He, he planned stuff out for him. He didn't just turn his back on him. He worked through those shortcomings. Not just that, but God will work through our emotions. Girls, can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? Thank you very much. Guys, we have emotions too, and that's exactly, exactly. However, I will just be, I will just be dead honest with you, and this is not chauvinism or nothing like that, but when a guy wakes up, and they talk, because I live with girls, my mother my, and, my, and my sister uh, in the past. When a guy hears, I'm having a crying day, that makes no sense to us. <laughs> what is a crying day? I'm confused. It's not, it's not you, and I'm just having a crying day. I'm like, I don't, I don't get that, right? But we have emotions. We have emotions that we deal with here on this earth. Um, and you know, it can seem almost like our emotions change like the wind sometimes. They, they can turn so fast. Anyone ever had a really great day? One thing happens and it's the worst day of your life. It's like that. That fast your emotions can change. But unlike so many other religious structures and belief systems in which God is detached, angry, and hateful, our God is not cold and uncaring. He isn't offended by our emotions. He made us this way. There's actually um, this story of Jesus, and, and I love it. It's, it's in John, uh, verse 11. And it's, it's so simple, actually, but it, it's just a story. It says, when Mary reached, and Mary was a, a woman who Jesus knew, <clears throat> Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him. She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. He was coming back to see this man, Lazarus. And it says, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. He says, where have you laid him, he asked. And they said, come and see, Lord. And verse 35 says, Jesus wept. Even Jesus experienced emotion like that. When he came and he was surrounded by people who were all weeping and hurting, he couldn't help but feel the same thing and say, like, it's hard. I mean, I've been in circumstances like that where maybe it's not my pain, but when you're around somebody who's experiencing deep pain, it's just hard to not feel that same pain, isn't it? And that's what he says, I, I felt it. He doesn't yell at us for having emotions. He doesn't yell at us for having bad days and having sad days. That's part of who we are, and he, he knows it. When we feel down, we don't have to hide from God. Instead, we can take and we can, we can give that care to God, and we can lean on him because he says that he understands our emotions. Perhaps the biggest one, though, that I see, not just the fact that he deals with our, our emotions and our, our insecurities, is that God deals with our sin. And this is the one that I perhaps have the, the hardest time believing. Sin separates us from God. That's biblical. When we sin, it, it, it separates us from God. It puts a dividing line between us. When we're, when we're steeped in sin, God can't be with us because he can't have part with sin. Yet because of how he loves us so much, he'll work with us even though we're not perfect yet. And I have a hard time with this because sometimes when um, when I deal with sin, I feel like I need to pull away from God because I don't feel like I'm worthy to be able to be in his presence. I don't know if any of you guys have ever had that either, but sometimes you just feel like, I don't feel like I can worship God right now because I'm a mess. And I'm completely right in that feeling except for the fact 
that God does not see me through my own eyes. It says in the Bible that when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he sees us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And what I like to think of it is this, is it's almost like God put on a set of goggles, Jesus goggles. I don't know if you guys have ever done those little things with the kids where you put on the red glasses and all the stuff that's red disappears and the image shows up. It's like that. I know that I'm covered in sin. I'm not a good person. I still have insecurities, failures. I, I have problems. But because I believe in Jesus Christ and I've made him my Lord and Savior, when God looks at me, he looks at me through Jesus' goggles. And he doesn't see that sin anymore because Jesus paid for them. And what he sees when he looks at me is just a kid who needs help. He doesn't see all the sin. He doesn't see all that part because Jesus already paid for that sin. Paul is my hero. If you guys ever read Paul in the New Testament, he's, he's one of my absolute heroes. And one of the reasons why is because he's such a screw-up. He's such a screw-up. It makes me feel better reading Paul. How can I say that? It makes me feel better. I, I know you're not supposed to revel or, or be happy in someone else's misery, but sometimes it makes you feel better that other people are also experiencing things that are, that are, that are disappointing. Um, he says this in Timothy, and if you guys are wondering, Timothy is actually a guy that Paul was writing to. It was like his protege, so he was writing to him, trying to explain just like how to be a, a man of God and stuff like that. And he says in 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 17 this, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came in this world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. This is Paul. I mean, this is a man that he wrote the majority of the New Testament, if you look through. And when he says, Jesus Christ came to save sinners, his comment is, and I'm the worst of them. I'm the worst. And he says, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example to those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the king eternal, immortal and invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. It says that he, he says, I'm the worst. He says, but what that shows is just how great God is. Because there's no way I could do any of this without God. And he says, God in his, I love that, infinite patience that he just continues to deal with me because I don't have it together. You know, I've done, I've done some word studies on this because some pastors will, will try to show you that it says, of whom I am the worst, that he was talking about his previous life. Because Paul had a terrible early life. He persecuted Christians. He, he sought them out and he murdered them. And people say he was looking back at his, his previous years and saying, I was a terrible man and, and God brought me out of it. But if you study the original text in what form it sits, he was talking in the present tense. I'm sure he did have regrets about the past, but when he says, of whom I'm the worst, he was saying today. He says, I don't have it together. I'm still a sinner who doesn't have it together. And that really, really helps me out sometimes to think that Paul, a man who was, who was greatly used by God, he didn't have it all together either. It was just because he had Jesus Christ to forgive him of his sins and help him move on. God cares for us. And he says that we're worth his trouble enough that he's going to work through that sin. Um, many of us have things in our past that still come back to haunt us. Things that we did that we wish we, we would have never done. But God can work around those things. He can work through those things. And most of us are going to struggle with sin until the day we die. 
we're going to have a hard time. There's going to be things that we fight with. There's going to be things that we struggle with. It says in the, in, the, in the Bible that we can get to a point in which we really get it, but it's hard. It might take a long time for a lot of us. I'm not there yet. Not at all. But God says that you are worth his trouble. It's not a license to sin. Even all that struggle, that's okay, as long as there's still a struggle. As long as it's still a struggle, that you're striving for better. If it's just, oh, this is who I am, that doesn't quite cover it. But you're worth his trouble. He really cares and he really loves you. And that's actually why I showed that video at the beginning of service today of Popeye. That was the very first episode ever of Popeye the Sailor Man, if you were wondering. Betty Boop made a, uh, uh, an intro, a cameo there to try to give it credibility, I guess. Um, she's a little, uh, I don't know, inappropriate at times, I think. But um, I don't know how many of you guys watched Popeye over the years, but I did. And there was this reoccurring storyline of Popeye and olive oil being together. And this big, tough guy, Bluto, would show up. And you know what Bluto was? Is he, was he was just kind of like, he was a player. And Bluto had a way of immediately getting Olive Oil's attention away from Popeye. He was tougher. He had better hair. He didn't smoke a pipe. So he, w- he was just like that, that next grade, I guess. But he would show up, and he would woo Olive Oil, and she would immediately follow him. And she would follow him away. But it wouldn't be before long that Bluto would try to take advantage of her. And she would come yelling back, Popeye. Save me, save me. And every single time Popeye came back, beat up Bluto, and took olive oil back and brought her back home. Now that being said, olive oil has the curves of a 14-year-old boy, so (laughs) she's not very attractive. (laughs) What's at the center of it is that Popeye loved olive oil with all of his heart, with all of his heart. And that story is the same story of, of, of so many of us. We have a relationship with with God, with Jesus, and he's Popeye, but most all of us are olive oils, and something pretty comes along, and we follow it. We walk away from from God, and we follow it for a while until we realize that it's got a hold of us, and what it wants for our life isn't what we want for our life anymore. But every single time we cry out for God, he comes and he pulls us away from it. Every single time, because just like Popeye, he loves us uncontrollably. He can't help but come and do that. And God's saying, you're worth my trouble. Even though I had to fight off and I had to destroy all these things, I keep on having to come back and pull you out of this. What he's still saying is, you're still worth my trouble. I care about you that much. In my own mind, what I, what I always think, though, is then why? How can that be? Because even if, even if it, it does look right to say that, how in the world could God really care about me that much? because I'm not that good of a person, and we're talking about God here. But I like some of these, and I have a few things for you that I want you to keep in mind when you start thinking about how could God possibly do this. First and foremost, God knows where we're coming from. God knows where we're coming from. In Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14, it says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed, he remembers that we are dust. It says in the beginning that he grabbed a handful of dirt, he formed it in a man, and he breathed into it, and that created man. And it says God doesn't forget that. He realizes we're just dust. We're not going to have it all together. And he says he has compassion on us, even, even though we're, we, we're kind of mess-ups. 
He takes pride in us too, and I see this, I see this in, in, in God's word. God is so ridiculously big. Think of it this way. God doesn't need any of us, okay? He's God. He doesn't need us. And yet when I read in the Old Testament, the, one of the most common terminologies that God uses for himself is he calls himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God adds to his title the name of three mighty men of God. Why? He doesn't have to use humans to make himself powerful. He's God. But he's so proud and so in love with his people that those who touch his heart, he wants to be associated with them. He wants to. It's just like a dad who has like a kid that he's really, really proud of, and you'll see a dad introduce himself as, I'm his father. Not he's my son. Not, yeah, you know, Jake, Jake's my son. A dad will come up and say, I- I'm Jake's dad. That's what God's saying here. He says, I'm the, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm so proud of them that I'm just happy that my name's associated with them. The other thing is that I see is that we're in this together. Really, um, when it comes to us here on this earth and, and God being part of it, we're in, this, we're in this whole big, crazy universe together. Um, and if we know God and if we love God, not only that, but we work hand in hand with him. We really like, we're, like, we're in partnership. There's this awesome old verse, and you guys like, this is one of those miraculous things that we have to hold on to about what God's done. And it's a, it's a story of Joshua. And it says this, they're, they're, fighting, uh, they're fighting a battle. And, and Joshua realizes there's no way he's going to have time to beat this army before the sun goes down. And this is what happens. It says, The day God gave the Amorites up to Israel, Joshua spoke to God with all Israel listening. That means that it's, it would be easy for something bad to happen and for him to be discredited. And he says this, Stop sun over Gibeon. Halt moon over Abidjan Valley. And the sun stopped. The moon stood stock, stock still until he defeated his enemies. You can find this written in the book of Jashar. The sun stopped in its tracks in mid-sky and just sat there all day. There's never been a day like it before or since. God took orders from a human voice. Truly, God fought for Israel. At a time where he realized that there was nothing he could do because the, the circumstances were out of his control, Joshua asked a prayer that's unimaginable. Son, stop in your tracks. And God does it because he's in this with us. He wanted the same thing Joshua wanted. And when we want the same thing God wants, he'll do miraculous things even to the point of stopping the sun to see it happen. Not just that, but God sees potential in every single one of you. He's a wise investor. All the time that he uses, all the energy, all that trouble, the reason why is because although we look on the surface and we say, I don't really know what I have for my life, I can look at someone else and say, maybe there's plans for your life. I can't really see them yet. God can look down the long run and he sees all the great things for your life. And he says, trust me, you're worth, you're worth all the trouble. You're a wise investment of my time because I have awesome things for you around the corner. I have great things for you in the future. Since the very beginning, we've seen the fact that we're worth his trouble. God keeps, he keeps showing it over and over again. Even right now, it says that God's still working for us. In John 14, 2, it says that right now, Jesus is up in heaven preparing a place for us, that when we die, he has a spot ready for us. He's still working. He's still going through trouble to work for us. 
Don't be fooled into thinking that God is too big to care about you because he really does. He's proven it over and over again. He's, he's shown all these different circumstances about people where he showed that they were worth his trouble, and you're no different than those people. This is just history of what God's done. Same thing with you. And you know, I, I would wager to guess that a lot of us, if we actually took time to think through our life, we could already see things that God's done in our life that wouldn't have turned out the way they did if it wasn't for some sort of miraculous intervention. I want you guys to realize how much you're worth to God um, because it's amazing how much God is willing to go through for you. I don't want to speak these three messages because I spoke three messages in a row about, about your worth and about how much God cares about you. A lot of times we speak about how much we need to care about God, but this message has been about how much God cares about you. And I don't do that so that you can feel entitled or a licensed, a license to sin and to continue in life and just say, well, I know that God cares about me. But you know what? I'm not even concerned about that in this message, and I'll tell you why. In Hebrews, it says this verse. Hebrews 12, 5 through 6 says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those that he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as son. Any of you guys who believe in Jesus Christ, and if any of this message could seem almost like it might make you think it's okay, God says, don't worry. Because he says, the people who I love, if, if I have a relationship with you guys, he says, I correct you, not because I want to hurt you, but because I want the best for you. Just like a kid playing next to a stove, right? Going to reach for a stove. A dad might take and pull his hand away and scare the kid. But the reason why he's doing it is because he knows better. And he's willing to correct him to, to save his son from pain. I want you guys to take advantage of this love. And I hope you guys, over these past three weeks, or even just this morning if you've been here, um, you've seen the fact that maybe God's a little different than we had thought of him, a little more personal than maybe we even thought. And uh, what I want to give you guys is an opportunity this morning. I was hoping that our, our two girls for our worship team would come back up and play a song for us. Um, but what I wanted, you guys can come, yeah. Um, what I wanted you guys to do is if this morning you have never taken advantage of the greatest trouble that God ever went through, which is his son, Jesus Christ. And you say, I, I need a relationship with Jesus Christ. We're up here to pray for you. But in the same sense, if you say, you know what, today I just need to start over. I've, I've, I've prayed the sinner's prayer. I've, I've asked Jesus to be my Lord. But today I just need to start over. Because I think I've really kind of had it messed up a little bit. I don't think I realized how much God cares about me. I need to just kind of resettle my faith again. What I want to do is just give you guys just a, a real quick, a real quick way to do it. We're going to sing this song that he loves us. And what I wanted to do is, is Emma was so awesome to change the words on us one time. And it switches to the, to the chorus says, he loves me. And the first time I sung that, it choked in my throat. I couldn't say it. I can talk about how much he loves you guys. I know how much he loves you guys. But when it comes to me saying he loves me, that was hard for me to say. Because somehow still, it's hard for me to imagine that God really cares about me. But I want to give you guys the opportunity this morning that if you say, I'm starting over and I understand how much God cares, I want to give you the opportunity this morning to sing that song. And I want to encourage you guys, don't worry about who's around you, but just sing it out loud. And if you know this morning, man, God loves me. I've heard it. Even if it was just this morning, you just realized it to be able to say, he loves me because he does. He loves you so much. So I want to pray with you guys real quick. 
and then while they, they, they play, you guys can sing, you guys can do that, and we'll just go ahead and finish. I'm not going to come back up here. Um, the word of prayer that I'm going to share, you guys can go ahead and head out. But if you guys need to come and you need to accept Jesus as your Savior, or if you just need to say, I need to pray with somebody because I need to start over this morning, my mother and I are going to be here where you can stop during the song afterwards and just say, let's just pray for a second, okay? Let's pray together and then we'll sing this. God, I thank you so much for this morning. And I thank you that when I look at your word, I see a God that is infinitely caring. Lord, one who says that we are worth all that care, all that love, and all that trouble. You say that even though we don't have it all together, you're willing to fight for us, just like Popeye, that you're willing to come and pull us out of the arms of something that we ran into anyway and pull us back because you love us so much. I pray to you, Jesus, that this morning, that reality would sink deep within each and every one of our hearts. And I pray to you that it would change our faith knowing that we serve a God, not just that demands our love, but that loves us back so greatly. I pray to you, Lord, that it would change us. It would make us something different. I just thank you so much for what a great God you are. It's in your name I pray, Jesus Christ. Amen.